anybody love the God that we serve? Yes. Yes. He's been kind to us. He's been wonderful to us. We just love him with all of our heart. All of our heart. Come on, let's sing this great praise unto him. Lift it up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory. Sing it, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Great Commission Community Church. It's so good to be here together, gathered as God's people to worship in his presence. Um, we come together every week to be reminded not only of who God is, but also of who we are in Christ. And we trust that God will use this time to meet us, um, forming us and shaping us in all that we do here together for our good and for his glory. Um, Psalm 33 encourages us in this way. It says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. Let's pray. God, how precious is your steadfast and unfailing love. Strengthen us, Lord, in our waiting and draw us near to you. Amen. Please rise if you're able and let's sing.
Amen, amen, indeed, um, how much we trust in Jesus. We're going to do things in a little bit of a different order this morning. So as you're standing, I encourage you to turn to a neighbor and pass the peace of Christ that we've received to one another. Peace to you all. Hello, welcome everybody. It's great to see you all. Uh, it's great to be together. The room feels nice and full. Um, anyway, um, welcome, especially if you're new or relatively new to us. Welcome. It's so good to um, have you here with us. Um, we just mentioned this last week, but I just want to say thanks again and also with a more specific number. Thanks again to everyone who donated to our three-year fundraising initiative for a health clinic in Cambodia in Stam Trang. Um, we have a three-year goal of $300,000 for this health clinic, and we raised um, 30000 in our first month. So thank you all. Um, yeah, we can clap. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's, yes, great. You know, um, please continue to give as the months go on. You can give that. Um, you can give to that as well as give regularly to and through the church um, all digitally. And please see our website if you're not sure how to do that but want to do that. Um, next week, we are virtual only, so please do not come here. Or, I mean, you can come here, but, you know, bring a laptop or a device or something. Um, so that's October 9th. Um, just want to explain real quick, like, why we do, every so often, why we do a virtually virtual only service. Um, it's because we rent space here at the hotel and we get kicked out. Um, that's basically, you know, um, so you know that we rent space here. Obviously, it's not like our church has a side hustle where we run a hotel. Um, so every so often, because of that, the hotel space isn't available to us. You know, someone asked last week at the welcomers or the newcomers lunch, uh, the welcome lunch. We do that quarterly. But anyway, someone asked, "Hey, does the 
um, church ever planned to um, buy a building? Or, you know, is that in the works? Or has that been a thought? And, um, and our answer has always been, well, you know, we, we revisit that possibility. We do some research every so often uh, into that. But um, the answer has been for, like, the 20 years or so that we've been around, um, the answer has always come down to no. Like, we're not going to do it because um, just thinking about the costs, it's much more in our hearts, like, kingdom-focused to not own a building, you know, because um, we want to spend that money elsewhere. And so um, one of the uh, great advantages of that is that we are able to actually do a lot. We, we give a lot. Um, and those of you who have been here for a while, especially those of you who are members, you know um, we give a lot. And um, one of the what relatively small disadvantages is that we sometimes get kicked out of the space. But that's all right. That's why we have YouTube and all that. Um, so anyway, um, so October 9th, that's next Sunday. Um, we're virtual only. Check us out on YouTube. The link is on the website. Uh, every Tuesday night, we get together to pray as a church over Zoom. And this coming Tuesday, we're focused on our local and international ministry partners, including partners in Cambodia. And you can find the link to that also on our website. We look forward to you joining us. And the following Tuesday, so not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, we will not be praying over Zoom because we're restarting uh, what we call the watch in person. And the watch is an extended time of song, worship, and prayer. It's a very spiritual time. It's a time of uh, what we call intimacy with the Holy Spirit, an avenue for healing from Jesus. And we'll be at a church building in Falls Church. The address is on our website from 7.30 to 9 p.m. the following Tuesday. We'd really love to see you there. We expect it to be a really, um, really good, um, deeply spiritual time. Um, Today, I'm going to, in a, in a moment, we're just going to have a few people come and um, share a little bit about how they serve in our community. And um, so every fall, we do this thing called the Ministry Fair, okay? Um, ministry Fair. And ministry is sort of a very fancy kind of Christian-sounding word for serving. Um, and um, I, I just want to talk just very briefly about um, serving with and in the church, um, it's just very normal, and I think you'll, if you've been around, you get a sense of that. It's just very normal to serve in our church, and um, if you consider this um, your church home, like if you consider yourself part of this community, um, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, but if you consider yourself part of this community, and also, yeah, if you consider yourself a Christian, it's just very normal uh, to serve, and um, we're, a, like, I think a small enough church um, even if we're like a, a decent amount bigger, um, I think we're still a small enough church where like everyone can play, like everyone can be involved, you know, so it's not like you just come here and it's like, well, it's like 5,000 people, like I just come in here, just kind of take things in and leave, you know, and anonymously. Um, you know, we're, we're a small enough church where we're like, it's one of our values um, to have like each other like connect and to um, be part of a, like a, you know, just as good of a community experience that we can have. And uh, not to say that that community experience is going to be perfect, etc. but nonetheless, we still want to um, invest in this community and being part of a community. And so part of that is just serving, you know. And so I'm just going to highlight some ways that we, or people among us, serve the church and with the church. So on Sundays... Just on Sundays, you can serve the church by being part of, like, welcome. The people out there, people in here, 
people afterwards. You're welcome. Um, getting your email addresses so we can send you stuff and help you get connected and answer questions and so on. Worship. Um, all the people that are up front, people come early to set up. People stay late to tear down. Um, again, because we don't own the hotel. We don't just leave the stiff, uh, stuff up here. Um, God's Garden. That's our family and children's ministry, like children under sixth grade. Um, you can help out with the kids. Um, and then not on Sundays, serving the church. There is a fellowship group. You know, every so often we'll have like a picnic or some other big event. Like some people have to put that together. People plan that, you know, get food for us and so on. Like, um, so um, you can be part of that, you know, not on Sundays and serving with the church. You know, we have local partners like Little Lights in D.C. and Casa Chiragua in Arlandria. And, um, you know, and what we're trying to do as a church, we've mentioned this a few times over the past month or two, um, we're trying to um, serve our neighborhood where we meet, this Pentagon City National Landing Area, um, better and more, I guess. And, um, you know, this is a relatively new neighborhood. And though we've been around this area for like 20 years, it's like, oh, man, there's this neighborhood popping up around us. And um, it's continuing to pop. And Amazon's coming next year and, you know, and so on. And so we want to think, like, how can we serve this neighborhood? You know, and just because it's an affluent area doesn't mean it doesn't have real needs. You know, how can we be a blessing to this area? And, um, you know, and, and there's a prayer walk, by the way, coming on October 15th. You can just be part of that, you know. Um, just really encourage you to come October 15th. That's a Saturday. Um, we're going to meet around 1030. So um, having said that, I just want to invite some people who do serve, and if that's you, you can come on up. Sunjun, Christine, Kevin, Michelle, Michelle, you can come on up. Come on up now. You can just go right, you can go actually right here. If you're blocking the screen, that's okay. I'm just going to ask, I'm just, we'll turn this one off. Okay. All right. Um, I'm just going to ask each of these uh, friends questions. So it's like an icebreaker. They're going to say their name. They're going to say how long they've been part of the church and how or where they serve and one thing they like about where or how they serve. Okay. All right, so you can just introduce yourself that way and so on. Okay, hi everyone. Um, I'm Michelle Yi, and I started coming to GCCC um, for about a year now, October of last year, um, and on and off during the pandemic. Um, and I serve at Little Lights in Southeast. It's a Christian local NGO um, that primarily serves um, underserved communities, mostly the black community there. Um, I serve in the reading program and they meet like every Tuesday. Um, and it's only like an hour and a half long. Um, you meet with like one student consistently. Um, it's mostly elementary students. Um, there's a few middle and high school students too. 
I really love it because like you build a relationship with these students um, long term and it's in a safe environment. The, the people that work there are just amazing, super organized, and they create like a personalized curriculum for each student. So it's really great. And I personally love reading. Um, the student I have right now does not, sorry to out her right now. So I'm just like really trying to build her confidence. And it's not really about like building her reading level as so much as like building her confidence and, and like enjoyment and love in loving reading. Um, she's great. I love uh, just like spending time with her and it's only once a week. And so I think just showing up consistently is the best thing for her. Um, one thing that's really kind of sad is that their reading level is not where they should be. And so for me, I'm just like heartbroken over the community in terms of like how much we have in terms of like um, the privilege of like having such great reading levels in comparison to this community that's like right around the corner. Um, they also have math programs, like mentorship programs, and small groups also can serve on Saturdays. So there's many ways to serve. That was not that short, so I'm gonna <laughs> give it to Kevin. Wasn't short, but it was good. Hi everybody, I'm Kevin. Um, I've been coming to GCCC for just over a year now. Um, I serve in primarily God's Garden. Mm, that was that was weak. Um, so God's Garden is our kids ministry here, as Pastor Carl said, and um, I think I'll start shallow. I think um, one of the things I really enjoy is that we have a lot of very talented artists um, among the Arlington side kids, um, and it's really cool just to see um, the way they draw and kind of interpret and uh, I guess internalize a lot of the stuff that we talk about every Sunday um, in God's Garden. But I think overall, why I really enjoy serving with them is it reminds me a lot of when I was a kid and a very naughty one at that in my churches um, and just the way that people were patient like really helped nurture my faith. Um, but on top of that, I think it's also seeing the kind of excitement that all these kids come into. Um, they do not do anything at less than 100%. Um, whether it's playing a game, whether it's drawing like, you know, before or, you know, just answering questions or thinking about anything. Um, and I think that's a nice reminder to me, at least, about how I should be living out my faith, which is 100% all the time. So the kids are inspiration, and I think it's also uh, a segment of the church that is not always thought about, but is an integral one to us. So. Hi. Oh. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sungjun, and I've been going to GCC for over a year. Um, I started serving like halfway through after I joined. Um, I started serving in the setups for... Uh, for the worship team, and then I moved on to doing like live stream and then uh, just working with the laptops in general. Um, I started joining this uh, ministry because I thought it was a great way to first connect with the church, um, be involved with the community here, because I felt like there was just so many of you guys, and I wasn't able to really get to know um, each one of the people that were serving alongside with me. Um, so, yeah. Um, just getting connected with the community, and I was also really interested in um, just um, getting personal interest in like technical like supports or like connecting like devices, whatnot. But um, yeah, it's been a real pleasure serving with every one of you guys and just getting to know you and um, uh, hoping for uh, more serving for God's kingdom to come uh, in the next coming years. Hi, oh, oh, my name is Christine. Um, I've been with GCCC since 
2019 March when I got married to my husband, Chris, and um, Chris and I actually served for the welcoming ministry. Actually, an encouragement, we started leading welcoming ministry soon after I joined the church, so you don't have to be a long-time regular attendee to be serving. Um, and what was the question? <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I, um, so it's funny because I remember every single one of us here and the first time that they walked through our doors because I'm one of those people that check you in when you're um, coming into the sanctuary. Um, and I'm an introvert <laughs> by nature, um, so it really, like, I have to push myself to be there to try to make conversation, but it's also really rewarding um, to see the first-time comers regularly come through the door and to learn their names. So it's kind of a game at the table for myself. Um, when I see you, like, walking towards me, I'm like, blah, 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 your name is this. <laughs> so it's, it's really great. Um, and then it's a way for you to just meet everyone, um, although it might be surface level, but it's only the beginning. Like, it gets you to ask um, questions about those people and you know, connect in a deeper level if you if that's what you're inclined to do. So that's what I love about welcoming. And we're always open to receive more um, welcomers. So if you're interested, um, reach out to me. <laughs> I'm Michelle Fleming, and I'm a part of the Community Service Connection Group. I've been coming about a little over a year. Um, and I was looking for an opportunity to serve in a variety of ways at a variety of places and reach out you know, to the community. Um, and now we can combine that with the church's goal of reaching out to Pentagon City and National Landing and seeing what we can do here in the neighborhood. All right, thanks everyone. Um, so what we're going to do is after the service, they're over in the foyer where the welcome table is, um, there's going to be like some like sign-up sheets or maybe some of these people um, that you saw up here or some other people that you didn't see up here um, might just do it with their phones. But if you're like, hey, you know what? I want to get involved in such and such group. Um, you can just do that before you leave the hotel. And so please, I encourage you to stick around. If you have some questions, you can talk to them and so on. Um, but that'll be in the foyer um, right after service. So, um, you know, I like... Um, like um, I think um, well, multiple people said, I, I think like Sanjun was saying, um, one of the great things about serving is just it's a way to connect to other people and um, just get to know people. And so if you're like, oh, I would like to get to know some people better in the church, um, you know, there's small groups, there's connection groups, there's different events that happen, um, and serving um, in this way regularly is also another really great way. Uh, to get more connected to the church. So having said that, um, we're just going to continue with our service, and um, I'm going to have Julie, uh, we'll have Julie come back up here and lead us in prayer. Thanks, Pastor Carl. Um, church, before we hear from Pastor Carl in today's sermon, let's just spend some time in prayer together. Um, we know that um, God is here with us, His Holy Spirit is here with us, and we love because, indeed, He first loved us. So let me read some scripture first from 1 John chapter 4. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So as we continue in our worship through prayer, it may be that some of what we pray together might not exactly reflect um, exactly where you are today as an individual, what you're going through, but we pray corporately, that means together in love and humility, trusting that God hears and answers these prayers for us as a body of people together. Um, so please join me in our collective prayer. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your love has been lavished upon us and poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We are comforted in knowing that nothing can separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus. We pray, God, that you would strengthen our hearts with this truth and that any fear of um, condemnation would be cast away by your perfect love. God, your word says that we love because you first loved us and that because you loved us, we also ought to love one another. But we confess that we have fallen short. We confess we have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. Instead, we have a problem sometimes with needing validation from other people or the approval of other people rather than just you. We pray more attention to other, we pay, sorry, more attention to other people's wisdom um, rather than yours. We know we um, sometimes spend our strength striving after our own trophies rather than being restful in all that you've given us. So, God, we just ask for forgiveness. God, we confess we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess that instead of being generous with all the good things you've given us, sometimes we've been selfish and we've withheld from giving from others. Um, forgive us, Lord. Please open our hearts and our hands that we would extend our time, our treasures, our talents, to building up your kingdom, not just our own. We pray that you would call and lead us to the exact places where you want us to give or where you want us to serve. Church, take a moment to use your own words to confess um, the ways in which we as individuals or a community have not loved God um, the way we should. God, we pray for um, all the various ministries in our church, that you would just bless the volunteers and the work itself so that many, many people would know and receive your love and have their lives transformed. Um, we lift up our families to you, whether 
in, at GCCC in part or in whole. Um, we pray that you would heal what is broken, um, fill wherever there's need, and bless so that they would be a blessing. God, we lift up this Pentagon City area to you, this exact neighborhood. Um, we pray that you would help us form good relationships with our community here, that we would be able to share the love of Christ and our hope in you. God, we pray for our missionary partners locally and abroad, for CASA, for Little Lights, and for all our international workers. We pray you would provide for their every need and multiply the work of their hands. We pray you would bring um, volunteers to those ministries. Um, yeah, and that you would use each volunteer just mightily um, in multiplying ways. We thank you that your love is not just for us, but for so many countless others who you are seeking to save. We long to see our hearts and our church, this neighborhood, our communities, our cities, and our world to be transformed by your love and your power at work through the Holy Spirit. Church, take another moment to listen for how the Holy Spirit might be speaking to us now and um, how we can love our neighbors in different parts of our lives. know who might be on our hearts, um, whether a family member, a neighbor, um, a co-worker, or a classmate. Um, God, give us boldness to help them to know you, to show them your love and grace, and to be a great witness of your, your work in our lives. And lastly, Lord, we just offer up our wealth, all that we have, all of who we are belongs to you. God, we give you our offerings and gifts as a symbol that we know everything belongs to you. We pray for the clinic in Cambodia to be helpful to the people in that area. God, let our endeavors as a church be helpful and fruitful in your eyes, both near and far. We just thank you for all of our blessings and all that you give to us. And we pray for um, today's offering that you would use it mightily. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm just going to ask you to pray with me one more time. Lord, as we look into your word, as we uh, sit before you and your word, um, we want to have um, just a humble, um, listening, teachable heart um, before you and before others. Lord, we thank you for the um, power and closeness um, of your Holy Spirit with us. And um, Lord, in his presence, um, Lord, we know it's not just us in this room, but it's uh, you, your Holy Spirit, speaking, um, stirring strengthening, 
and encouraging. And we want to hear your voice, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, this is Genesis 29. Um, we're going to be reading a chapter and a half of Genesis. We're continuing the story of Jacob, the forefather of Israel, and um, by faith, um, a forefather of us as well who follow Christ. Um, the title of this sermon, if you're taking notes, is Dysfunction and the Love of God. Dysfunction and the Love of God. Genesis 29, verse 1, and we're going to read from, from there to chapter 30, verse 24. Um, this is a, an ugly story, but it, it starts out positive. All right, chapter 29, verse 1. Oh, by the way, last time we saw Jacob, he had just uh, had God appear to him in a dream and a promise from God. He saw a ladder and he saw a promise from, he heard a promise from God that um, he would, that God would uh, bless him, the same promise that he gave to his, his own forefathers and um, that he would be with him wherever he goes and he would bring him back to the, to the land of his, um, like the, his homeland and so on. And um, he worships God. He's very excited. And so he was really in distress. He's running from his brother who wants to kill him. He has this amazing encounter with God. He's encouraged. His spirits are lifted. And here we go in 29 verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey. The Hebrew word there is actually literally lifted his feet. So I think there's some sense of like velocity and light spirits here. And Jacob went on his journey. He lifted his feet and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put some back, or sorry, put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. And Jacob's immediately excited because that's where he's trying to get to, and he's trying to get to his relative's place there. He said to them, Do you know Lavan? That's his uncle, the son of Nahor. They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? Is it shalom to him? They said, it is shalom, it is well. And see, look, behold, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. I guess there's some kind of agreement among all the shepherds. We're going to all water at the same time. So we're just going to wait for uh, the right time for everyone to be here and then we'll roll the stone off and, and water the sheep. Um, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. She was a shepherdess. Um, now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Lavan, his mother's brother. So I think there he, it's like an act of hospitality. It's maybe slightly like impressing her because he's looking for a wife. Um, so I mean, he's probably thinking, like, actually, he's rolling his big stone off the top of the flock, like, she's gonna love me, <laughs> you know, one of, something like that. Um, so that's what we see. Then, um, verse 11 then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Probably just like a greeting on the cheeks. Wept aloud. 
And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman. Like he, there's so much emotion right now. Like he, he sort of was playing it cool. He rolled, off the, he rolled the stone off the top of the well, and now he reveals like, it's so great to be here. It's so great to see you. Um, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran. She's excited. She ran and told her father. And as soon as Levan heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran. He ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So, oh, so much emotion. I know this narrative is so quick, but feel the emotion of this. You know, you, you might have heard people talk about, there's a story that Luke, uh, Luke tells, that Jesus tells, that Luke tells Jesus tell about um, this uh, two, a father with two sons and the, the younger son runs away with the inheritance and so on and then comes back and then the father is this like radical father because, you know, like as a patriarch, like ancient Jewish times, you know, he like sort of undistinguishes himself by like running and meeting and this is the same emotion. He's running, he's running. So it's not that unheard of, I guess, but it's extreme emotion. So he takes him to his house. Jacob said to Levan, all these things. So probably kind of what had happened, why he's here. Probably he left out some parts. Probably, he probably didn't say, like, my brother's trying to kill me. He's, you know, I, just, I tricked him. I tricked my dad into this blessing. But um, he says, you know, basically, this is why I'm here. And Levan said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. Does anyone recognize that as a, like a poem from earlier in Genesis? It's Genesis 2, actually, when Adam and Eve, like the first people, first community, meets each other, and that's why Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's poetry, it's the earliest love poetry, I guess. And here we see Levan saying the same thing to Jacob. Bone of my bone, flesh, this surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Cut scene, new scene. Then Levan said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, so this is one month later, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Like you're, so obviously Jacob's probably like helping out and things like that, and he's like, you're, you're helping out, you're doing a lot of work, but I'm not paying you. Like, what, what should I do? Like, should I, what, what can I do? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Levan had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel, whom we already met. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. What does that mean, verse 17? We don't know. You read like all these like scholars, they're like, could be that, da, 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 you know, we're not sure. Um, it's like, because <laughs> my first thought is like, she had bad eyes? <laughs> like, why is that a, like a fundamental thing about this person? Um, but like, she needs glasses. <laughs> you know? but, um, anyway, um, it could just be that, you know, they're like tender, I don't know. Um, but whatever it might be, um, we understand from this verse that Jacob loves Rachel. Okay? Rachel is superior in um, Jacob's eyes. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Like basically, um, there is in the, that ancient world, if you're gonna marry someone, you have to, if you marry a woman, you have to give like a price, like a bridal price. And sometimes it goes the other way, like dowries, you've heard of that. But um, you give the family of the woman, of the bride, um, this bridal price because it ensures like, we'll you know, if anything happens, like this woman will be taken care of, okay, especially in that culture. It's like a, it's like a protection for the women and the family. Um, so he says, you know, I don't have something to give you. I don't have a price to give you, like a bridal price. 
but this is what I'll do. I'll work for you for seven years. And that'll be kind of the way we work out, like, how much I can pay for your daughter, basically. Um, Levan said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man, so stay with me. So Jacob stayed, uh, served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Nice, right? Nice, okay. All right, cut scene. Then, new scene, then Jacob said to Levan, so this is seven years later, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Levan gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. So there's a wedding, okay? So seven years later, sure enough, there is a wedding. But in the evening, this is awesome, it gets dark here. In the evening, he took his daughter Leah, the one with weak eyes, and brought her to Jacob. And we're gonna, I'm just going to show this picture. Yeah, there's a slide up. So this is like actually like um, more contemporary. It's like Yemeni um, bride. Um, and um, it's just basically like how fully they're covered. And I guess you can imagine also if their face is covered um, for part of the wedding feast. So that'll just come into play here in a second. Okay. Um, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Okay, thinking that it was Rachel. So they consummate the marriage that way. And, and here's this parenthetical remark as we kind of wait. Like, oh my gosh, he just got tricked. And then what's going to happen? And in the meantime, there's this parenthetical. Um, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant and maidservant. Okay, verse 25. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Levan, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Levan said, it is not done, it's not so done, it's not done like this in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. You know, as if, like, he didn't lie straight away. It's like, no, it's not our custom, what are you talking about, you know? Um, because basically, again, going back to the ancient world, it's this idea that if the younger sister gets married before the older sister, it increases the worry that the older sister will not get married. You know, and, and, and part of that is not just like, oh, you know, her dreams will be crushed. It's because like, of the socioeconomic um, consequences of that for her and for the family. Um, so anyway, he says... How about this? Complete the week of this one, the wedding week. So they celebrated their weddings for a week over there. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other sister also in return for serving me another seven years. Is, uh, so Lavan is like such a weasel. And it's funny because like if you're uh, reading this story like as we've been for the last few weeks, you know Jacob is such a weasel. And then so now we're reading this like, oh man, the weasel gets like out-weaseled. It's almost kind of gratifying. But anyway, um, he says, serve another seven years and I'll give you Rachel too. And Jacob did so and um, completed her week, that week of the wedding. Then Levan gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Levan gave his female servant Bilhah to his servant Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Levan for another seven years. So he gets married to two women in a period of a week, and also he acquires these two uh, maidservants, you know, of his wives now. 
All right. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, the Lord saw that Leah was hated because Jacob only loved Rachel. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, so what does God see? God sees the pain. God sees the dysfunction in this family. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And it's a big honor thing, right? And also an economic thing for women to give birth. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Uh, terrible, right? It reminds me of, like, the soundtrack for this part, in, or for the rest of the story in my head is, um, do you guys know that old Bonnie Raitt song, like, I Can't Make You Love Me? Terribly sad song, anyway. Um, it's like, I can't make you love me if you don't. Anyway. Um, I remember my wife introduced me to the song a long time ago, and she was like, and she was like, you know, this is actually a song, like, like for a lot of women, actually. I'm like, this is like the saddest song I've ever heard, you know? Um, but yeah, it's true. Um, I can't make you love me if you don't. Like, Leah needed to hear this song. Um, I know, it's, <laughs> man, we're getting real here. Okay, but uh, she actually says, okay, now that the Lord has given me a son, now my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. Implied there is, even after that first son, she's still hated. So this time, a second son, now I won't be hated. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now, this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she seized bearing, bearing children. Sad. Like Leah's sad character here. Okay, chapter 30, verse 1. That when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. So even though Jacob loved only her, she still feels a lack of honor because I haven't been able to conceive. You know, um, I'm, I'm inferior to my sister that way. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, like a surrogate, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then, ja then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Then when Leah saw that she had seized bearing children, so the competition continues, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, just to help us visualize the story. That's a mandrake plant. And brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. 
But she said to her, is it a small matter that you, would have, that you have taken away my husband? You're going to ask me for mandrake plants when you, you've taken my husband from me all these years? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And the Hebrew phrase for lie with you is, is basically like a one-night stand kind of thing. So it's like just um, very mean. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And, God, and listen, God listened to Leah. God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. She, he listened to her pain. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. Like, I gave my servant as a surrogate. And this is like God's reward for me that I have a son too. You're like, is that really? But this is a story. And she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband, now my husband will honor me. This is like how many years later, how many sons later? Because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dina or Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. God remembered Rachel. God listened to Rachel and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. Finally, Rachel bears her son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. You think like, oh man, like the fulfillment of my life, like now, like at last, I have a son. But she says, it says, she calls his name Joseph saying, may the Lord send me another one. Okay, this is a story. Why does the Bible, why does God tell his people a story like this? This is their forefather. This is Israel's story. This is where we came from. Back then, it's just not like, oh, I had a crazy grandfather in my lineage. It's like, my grandfather is me. Okay? Why would they tell stories like this? You know, like, typical history of victors, when you tell your own story, what do you, you whitewash things. You, you write about our victories. You write about, like, all our good qualities, right? That's who we are. Um, in a, you know, and it's weird, actually, to have this story, both in the ancient world and I think today, too, you know, except maybe like in memoirs, like this sort of socially unacceptable. Um, but this is what the Bible gives as like a family history, and not just a family history, but a history of a people. And when it comes down to us as people who are also related by faith to this group, um, this is who we are. Um, like God saw that Leah was hated. So he opens her womb. And this does give her a degree of honor, but it doesn't make her more loved by her husband. You know, doesn't God know that it's not going to work? Like, why, why is this God's plan? Why, why is this his plan of action? You know, I think he knows that it's not going to work in terms of getting love from her husband. You know, God does give her something to sort of take some of the edge off that pain, but it's not a perfect solution for what's causing her pain. When Rachel's maidservant gives birth, she interprets it as God's gift to her, to let her win against her sister. Praise God, because now I'm beating my sister. And when she gives birth herself, the narrator says that it was actually God's doing. God listened to her and gave her this son. It was a mercy, yes, but this doesn't satisfy Rachel. And further, this does not heal this family's dysfunction. Rachel and Leah, at the end of the story, are still competing for honor and love after all these children. 
We'll see later, actually, how Jacob favors this last son, Joseph, and how the rest of the sons hate Joseph. It's not surprising when you know this history. It runs in the family. And the story doesn't even mention, like the narrator doesn't even mention the thoughts or prayers of the maidservants, Zilpah and Bilhah, like what they're experiencing as surrogates in this family. Like, God only knows, you know? This is not a story of perfect or tidy solutions. This is a messy story without clear resolutions, without loose ends being tied up. Some things don't change in this story, even with a lot happening. Leah stays unloved. Even with all the mentions of God seeing and listening and doing something like this, the, the fact that she is unloved, the fact that there is this tremendous dysfunction in the family remains. So I think we ask, is this story here just to discourage us? Is it here to take away our positivity and our hope? I don't think that's the best takeaway because throughout Scripture, we see God wanting to strengthen us, encourage us, and actually fill us with hope. Okay? Like, is this telling us, like, don't even pray because your prayers are probably screwed up? No, I don't, I don't think so. You know, because I, I, I think overall in the Bible, God is wanting to fill us with hope. And, you know, I think you could say the Bible story overall, the story of Jesus' awaited coming, his first coming, and the second coming that we're still waiting for, gives us hope like perhaps no other story or narrative in this world does. Like, I think one way to persuade people to believe the Bible and believe in Jesus is not just to show that the Bible is like more true than other stories, but that the Bible is more hopeful than other stories and offers like a better hope. You know, it's a better hope than these other stories offer. The hope that Jesus offers us is a better and more beautiful hope, I think we can argue, than the hope that humanism offers us. It's a better and more just hope than the hope that global capitalism offers us. It's a better and bigger hope than any story about individual prosperity or self-improvement. Amen? I mean, we have a beautiful story. So I don't think the Bible story here either is meant to frustrate us or to make us feel without hope, at least in the end. I think first, this story gives us important warnings about how we seek God and what we expect from God. First, this story gives us important warnings. It's like a... It's like a, yeah, it's like a morality tale, but it's like an example story in a negative way. But this story gives us an important, warnings, an important warning about how we seek God and what we expect from God. Okay, I think all of us are tempted in some way or the other to follow formulas or our own pictures of prosperity and then expect God to act a certain way based on those formulas and pictures. We are tempted to believe or assume that God honors those formulas and often God doesn't. Like, if I do this, then God must do that. You know, when it's a formula like this, this is religion, the kind of thing that Jesus doesn't like. This is a way of religious people, people that don't tend to do well with Jesus. But if we follow formulas and expect God to act a certain way, honoring those formulas, and then God does it, what happens? Because God doesn't solve every problem or heal every pain. The fact is, until Jesus returns, we will have unresolved problems, unsolved problems. Amen? Terrible thing to amen, but yes, we're going to have unsolved problems as individuals, as families, as communities, as societies, and we will have unhealed pain as individuals, families, communities, societies. And even when Jesus returns and everything is made totally new in this world, I don't know if the past will be totally forgotten. Because I think, because I think of how when Jesus was resurrected, and he was resurrected, sorry, he was resurrected in that new birth. 
as a firstborn of many children, as a first fruit as of, a, of a big harvest. That's the rest of us. When Jesus was resurrected, in the same way we're going to be resurrected, when Jesus was resurrected, he still had scars. Like my own picture of redemption of all things is more like we all have beautiful, clear skin. You know, that's like my picture. Our scars disappear, but somehow that's not Jesus. He is resurrected with scars, and apparently scars are beautiful to God. And we'll see later in a couple weeks that apparently limps are beautiful to God. You know, this past week, my wife and I were watching, speaking of my wife, my, my wife and I were watching the end of this old rom-com called 13 Going on 30. You guys watch that? 13 Going on 30, and it's Jennifer Garner. And um, like the main, well, I'm going to give some spoilers, but basically the main character is 13, but gets magically transported into like her 30-year-old self, who is a terrible person. Anyway, she's trying to make up with like her old friend who she's now romantically interested in, but he's getting married to someone else, so that's the dilemma at the end. And, and, you know, we're, wa we're just watching the very end of this, and I was like, hmm, do you think they'll have him not get married and stay with her, like break up his engagement? Or will she just leave disappointed and it's just too bad she missed her chance? And my wife's like, are you kidding me? Come on, this is like an American movie. Of course they're going to get together. They're, of course they're going to be married. And so she was right. Some magic wind blows, and she's transported back to age 13, and then all of a sudden fast forwards to age 30, and then you see them getting married. It was a very quick wrap-up. Um, but I wonder, what does God think when he watches that movie? You know, I mean, besides, like, I love that I created people with creative talents like this, you know? But I suspect it leaves God kind of flat because his story is much more painful. Like, his story, his hope is so much deeper and fuller and textured and I think more beautiful. But when we don't appreciate or understand God's story and his hope and we live by other stories rather than by his, and maybe us religious people or trying to be religious people, we follow formulas and expect God to act a certain way, honoring those formulas, and then God doesn't. What happens? What happens when God doesn't, you know, and it's not good. You know, I'm just going to talk about two things. I mean, I'm just picking two. We could talk about a bunch. But one, people are left bitter toward God because God didn't meet their expectations. You know, one type of leaving Christ story, I know there's stories like that. There's plentiful stories like that, especially in our culture. One, one type of that leaving Christ story is, um, that I've heard is one where basically they were taught that God wants them to have everything they want, especially as like teenagers and young, very young adults. And then bad, thing hap bad things happen, and then disappointments come, and they feel betrayed by God. Maybe meditating on this story of these two women would have helped them out. Maybe they would have thought deeply about how God's ways are beyond us. Maybe they would have thought about how our own perceptions are often wrong and how life is painful and messy. Maybe they would have thought about how Jesus is a companion, a friend, a brother, more than he is a wish granter. A second thing that often happens when we're tied to formulas with God is that God doesn't work according to our formulas. And then number two, people feel like God doesn't see us. God doesn't see us. And stories like this show us that God sees. But just because God sees us doesn't mean that our lives will be free of hard things. Amen? Just because God sees us doesn't mean that our relationships and our communities and ourselves won't be free of dysfunction. Because in fact, Jesus' story is the ultimate story that shows us that God sees. Jesus comes not out of like the, the ether without parents, without an ethnicity, or without a people, but he comes from this family. 
this family of Jacob that we're reading about. He comes as a baby, helpless as any other baby. He's Isaiah 53. We won't turn there, but he's Isaiah 53. He's familiar with suffering. He's a man of sorrows. He dies on a Roman cross, a cross that's reserved for people that the Roman Empire viewed as like the vilest, most unsavory, most dangerous people. The ones that we are collectively most ashamed of. That's who the cross is for, and that's how Jesus dies. The Bible writers taught by Jesus tell us that Jesus took on all our sin and all our suffering. Not meaning that we, in turn, will never suffer or never sin, but that he miraculously and mysteriously and wondrously was completely one with us. And he knows and he feels and he sees every dysfunction, every disappointment, every way we have been mistreated and unloved, and every way we have mistreated others and not loved others. He knows and feels every pain of life. He knows every disease, every lie, every act of violence, every act of evil. And sometimes we pray, Jesus, take away my pain. And that's not a bad prayer, actually. That's a good prayer. The Bible teaches us to pray that. But it's, if that's our only prayer, we're missing out. Because I think what Jesus wants us to say, too, is, Jesus, carry my pain with me. Live in my flesh. Walk in my shoes. God, see how I'm not loved. See my shame. Yes, in your mercy, let me be loved. Let my shame be taken away. And yes, I remember that you carry and feel all my pain. I remember that you walk with me in my shoes. And maybe that's more important than getting a child in this situation, in this family. Maybe that would have helped Leah a lot more than just having these successive sons. It's my privilege. It's my highest honor to live in step with you, Lord. To have, a history to, to, to have a history with you, to have memories with you, good and bad, to have a fellowship with you in your glory and in your suffering. That's a beautiful life, friends. That's a beautiful life. Not, the beautiful life isn't just, you know, I just had like no drama, no dysfunction, no pain, and I just like coasted through life with Jesus, praise the Lord. Like, I mean, if that happens, whatever, God bless you. But, you know, that's not the most beautiful story, at least in the Bible, at least as we can understand, in the heart of Jesus, in the life of Jesus. Actually, a more beautiful, even though it's a more painful and a more textured and a more hopeful story, is I went through a lot. And I felt fellowship with Jesus in his glory and in his suffering. I know Jesus. You know, that's why suffering is actually, I mean, not that any of us would like, please give me suffering. But when it comes, when there's pain, when there's chronic pain, we have to manage. One beautiful edge of that is that we are building a special history with God. That we're enjoying a unique fellowship with God, even if a lot of people can't understand. Amen? It's a beautiful story to the, to the resurrected Christ full of scars. Okay, number two, um, well, number one, I think the story tells us we put away and, and be warned, I guess, about um, our expectations and how we seek God. Number two, it addresses this feeling that we think that our messiness and dysfunction and unhealth and failures, all these make us undesirable or less acceptable to God. It says something to that thought. And what the story says is that thought is not true. Okay, that's a lie. 
This family, and we just read this story of terrible dysfunction, Bonnie Raid in the background. This family is so loved. This family is so loved. You think about your own life, think about your community, think about this country, think about, like, I don't know, your smaller community, think about church, big C, full of dysfunctions. You know, there's things in my family's past, like, I don't know. But this family, according to the scripture that we just read, this family is so loved. Yes, this family of pettiness, of meanness, of ruthlessness, of two sisters who compete for most of their lives for honor and love from their husbands, two sisters who look to God to take each other, uh, to take care of each other in, in, in this competition. It's a family of a husband who is bad at polygamy, and maybe everyone is, and maybe that's why God later tells his people not to do it. A husband who maybe hates his father-in-law and maybe takes it out on Leah. This dysfunctional family is so loved. This dysfunctional future people of God, this dysfunctional people group, this dysfunctional church is so loved. And I understand that it can be hard to receive God's grace. It really ha- it's really hard. I think one of the worst effects of trauma, like just speaking of an individual life and, and maybe a communal life too, but one of the worst effects of trauma is that it kind of cripples your ability to receive love and grace. And I get that it can be hard to receive God's grace, but let me just say it. Let me just put it out there for us to have that voice. Let's not let the messiness of our life stop us from receiving grace from God, from receiving the Holy Spirit's presence and gifting and power and love in our life. And let's not make it hard for each other, for other people who struggle with dysfunction just like we do or maybe more than we do to receive that grace from God because, yes, it can be so hard for people. So let's do what we can to take some of that away so it doesn't feel that hard to receive from God. You know, because we, I think we can actually make it harder for people who already have a hard time feeling at home with God. Like, we can make it harder for them. You know, in small ways and big ways. You know, let me just talk small ways. Like we may, for example, we might make assumptions about their family background or about how their marriage or relationship with their parents were. You know, like, oh, you have family in Fairfax? You must see them pretty often. Like, no, I hate my parents. Like, why are we, why are we talking about this? You know, oh, your brother lives in Philly. Where does he go to church? No, my brother doesn't go to church, you know. Or when you're in a small group and you're like, oh, it'd be so great if the group were more vulnerable about our history and you know, like, maybe you're saying that because you have sort of socially acceptable histories, you know, even if they're dysfunctional. You have socially acceptable dysfunctions, but maybe there's enough people, including people who might be in your groups, who have socially unacceptable histories, and they don't want to go there, and maybe you don't either, you know? It's almost like a lot of microaggressions in church against people coming with or from dysfunction. So let's not make it hard for them to find a home here with God. Amen? Does that make sense? And, and... Again, don't make it harder for people who already find it hard to receive from God, not just by microaggressions, but by exclusion. Not blatant exclusion, but basically a lack of active inclusion or intentional inclusion. You know, it's hard to make friends. I'm just talking about our church here. I'm just, let me just talk about GCC here real quick. Like, it's hard to make friends. And if you have some friends here, great. I hope everyone does. You know, but the thing, not everyone does. And you've you got to expand all the rest of us. We got to expand, you know? 
And I'm just going to say one more very specific thing about us. I'm going to say this to you who are Asian American here. You know what it's like to be a minority. So when you see people, our friends, our brothers and sisters who are not minorities in this church because they're not Asian American, love looks like being intentional and going out of your way to include them and befriend them. Amen? Amen? Let's all do our part for one another, making so making it so that it's not so hard to receive grace from God. Make it as easy as possible. Let's do our part. We're going to close by just taking communion, and as we take this bread and cup, I'm just going to encourage you, just come in the presence of God. Come, We are in the presence of God. Come, take his body, take his blood, not with a communion or a religious version of yourself where you have things together or pretend to have things together. Come and take it as part of a group or as a representative part of a group that is dysfunctional and broken and is so loved. Come with no doubts. Like, you know what? I'm coming. I am full of brokenness. I'm full of dysfunction. I'm coming freely. And I'm receiving freely from God. I am coming as a representative of my screwed up family with things that I should not talk about. And I come representing my family, freely receiving God's grace and love. I come as part of a church that is full of dysfunction and full of just sickness. And I'm coming, freely receiving God's grace. Not with formulas, not with my own expectations, not with the hope that everything would just be so easy, but coming with freely given oneness with God, with Christ who loves to walk in our shoes, Christ who loves to be in total solidarity with us, in grace and in love, in fact, in healing love. We're going to say this story uh, that we say in the form of a creed, um, and then we'll come up and take the elements. Um, Just can you say this with me? I believe, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is a cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He said, when you take this cup and you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Behold, I'm with you till the end of the age, until I come again. Uh, Through his Holy Spirit, so with that in mind, I just invite you to come as you are, not with a special like mask or a special version of yourself, but in the kind of least, most socially unacceptable version of yourself, come on up and know that God is with us. Okay? And um, as you do that, um, the band will start singing a song. Uh, after you take it, you can just join us as we continue to worship God in his presence.
before we leave, I um, just want to make sure we have a chance to pray for people. And I'll mention just we come representing our families, representing our church, representing different groups that we're a part of. And, um, you know, just as we came, basically, in a sort of an unspoken prayer, just receiving God's grace and love, you know, receiving the fact that he, he says that we, especially we in our dysfunction, belong to him. He loves calling us his own. Um, let's pray. I just give us a moment here to pray for our families. First, I'm just going to ask us to pray for our families. If there is like dysfunction in your family, if there isn't, you know, pray for another family that you know. Let's just pray. Just say, God, despite all this messiness and ugliness, sin, you love families like ours. Please let us receive grace from you, your fellowship, your healing. Let's pray that for a moment. bring healing to our family, all the people who we have hurt, and all the trauma that we are responsible for, all the dysfunction and sin in our church. Lord, bring your fellowship, bring your healing love to us. Let's just pray that on behalf of our larger, large, much larger body here. So taking a moment again. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for people you choose to identify with and the stories that you tell that we feel like may not fit you, but actually fit you. And we thank you for the beauty of your hope, the beauty of your love, the texture and maturity of your love. We praise you. Lord God, we love. It is our highest privilege and honor to walk with you and to have you walk in our shoes. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done and all that you are and all that you will do. We praise you. We love you, Lord, our true friend, our true brother. We love you. Amen. Church, as we go from here, go in the love of Christ. Go in the belonging of the Father. Go in the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. Be the church to each other. Be God's family to each other. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have asked that you just stick around for a little bit, sign up somewhere, talk to somebody in the foyer, and we'd love to get you more connected to our community as a whole. Thank you.